Well, we'll go through the Sunday papers with us in studio. Brendan Keenan, columnist with Independent Newspapers, Terry Prone of the Communications Clinic and uh, David Leach, who is Director of Communications as well. Good morning to you all. I have a key question. Um, Christmas tree. Too early, Terry? Oh, mine is up. Is yours up? And it's just gorgeous. And one of the great things this year is that I found chocolate uh, decorations. And so anybody who visits can eat while they watch. Excellent. That's very good. Anyone has an objection to Christmas trees being up this year? I'm against it. But the only reason mine isn't up is because my wife is away for the weekend. It'll be up. <laughs> if, uh, you know, I can be all match about it if you want. But and, and Brendan as the last man standing here because mine went up yesterday. No, no, mine's not up. But it'd be a bit mean to, to sort of say humbug and object to them going up. So good luck. But I think I'll give it another week or so. After, after 2016 and the way the year has gone so far, we need to get to Christmas and we need to get to New Year. Oh, yes. Is my Quickly. argument. Yes. Uh, let's go to the front pages of the Sunday newspapers. The Sunday Independent goes with the headline, Big Beasts Go to War. Um, picture of the big beasts in question, Leo Varadkar for Fianna Gael and uh, Bertie Ahern for Fianna Fáil. Uh, we'll read the Bertie story first. Bertie Ahern in challenge to Fianna Fáil leader. It's a Niamh Horan interview. Uh, former Taoiseach Bertie Ahern has challenged Michal Martin's view that nothing has changed since Mr Ahern was forced to resign from the office he once led to three election victories. Mr Ahern also believes Fianna Fáil would win more seats in Dublin if Mr Martin didn't oppose an application by his former constituency for him to rejoin the party. His only interest, his only interest is to help Fianna Fáil win seats in Dublin. Isn't that very nice of the man? Um, also, Varadkar, backed by 30 TDs in battle to succeed Kenny Sound. Kenny has said he's not going anywhere anytime fast. And uh, the Sunday Independent has them drawing the battle lines between himself and Simon Coveney. Um, on the front page of the Sunday Business Post, revenue begins review of hundreds of company tax deals. Trawl signals clamp down on Apple-style arrangements. Uh, the Revenue Commissioners has launched a major review of hundreds of secretive tax arrangements granted to multinationals and corporations as the state attempts to limit the fallout from the 13 billion euro Apple ruling. The Orkambi story, which Susan Mitchell broke on the Sunday Business Post last week, she revisits it this week. Vertex Pharmaceuticals, that's the company that made this CF drug, Orkambi, threatened to increase the price in response to HSE efforts to devise a scheme that would allow cystic fibrosis patients who responded well to the drug to access it. The revelation is damaging for the pharmaceutical company, which initially sought €159,000 per patient per year for the drug, but reduced the price during negotiations. The HSE said it asked Vertex to explore the possibility of an outcomes-based model, uh, which is where payers pay the HSE only an agreed price for a medication if it achieves specific outcomes. Uh, Vertex came back and specifically stated such an arrangement would be challenged to implement, uh, challenging to implement and the HSE would end up paying significantly more. So that is a row that's ongoing and the patients don't know if they're going to get the drug or not. Uh, the Sunday Times um, will come to their main story about Mourinho in just a minute but they say Fianna Fáil pulls support for Kenny in Judge Bill Rao. Uh, this is the confidence and supply arrangement I was me- referencing earlier on. Uh, Fianna Fáil says it will oppose the government's proposed judicial appointments bill after Taoiseach Enda Kenny pulled and administrative stroke to kill one of its private members' bills last week. Party sources have described as a breach of faith Kenny's refusal to provide a money message giving uh, exchequer assurance for the costs of the Judicial Appointments Commission bill introduced by Jim O'Callaghan, its Fianna Fáil justice spokesperson. So that's having a bit of a spat over the judges thing that Shane Ross is having a spat about on the other side. So judges are causing problems, not to judges themselves, but how they're getting in. 
Um, Mourinho Millions and the Taxman is their top story. It's an insight. It's a big investigation that the Sunday Times, and amongst other newspapers, carried out. Uh, Jose Mourinho faced a call yesterday for a criminal investigation into his tax affairs over a secret multi-million pound fortune held offshore. Interesting story, says you, but if you go further into it, an investigation by the Sunday Times has found evidence suggesting that the Manchester United boss of advisors misled the tax authorities in Spain and Britain during inquiries into 10 million of earnings hidden through a Caribbean tax fund. Millions of euros he was paid for the use of his image rights to endorse products were sent initially to a company in Dublin without being taxed and then wired to a Swiss bank account in the name of the British Virgin Islands company, which is called Coper Services SA. As you might imagine, Jose Mourinho is denying any wrongdoing whatsoever. Um, the front page of the Irish Mail on Sunday, the headline is redacted. Enda Kenny finally admits he uses Gmail, but only for non-sensitive official correspondence. If this email from finance was non-sensitive, then why was it blacked out? And they have a little picture of an email with blacked out bits on it. Uh, Terry, should you use Gmail for, for official correspondence? Well, the, there's been a number of uh, features and things like The Economist in the last three, five weeks that I have looked at that suggest that Gmail is probably the very best thing to use for official correspondence, much better than any of the kind of proprietary department-specific systems or servers. Don't ask me a supplementary question on this, Jonathan. <laughs> That's the extent of my knowledge. Google Docs, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, we won't go on, the, the on the other hand, just on that one, I know nothing about this, but Carl and Lillington in the Irish Times said exactly the opposite, <laughs> that the Google algorithm can read everything. And I uh, actually had this story where a senior Garda uh, who was in charge of cyber security was using personal Gmail and corresponding with his opposite number in the FBI, who wasn't at all pleased when he discovered <laughs> that his emails mm. were going on to Gmail. Well, the worst so thing it's all it, very puzzling. They give you great ads, though. They give you the ads. They tailor the ads based on what's in your email. So we'd be interested to see. Well, that's, that's, how, that's what the, the machine is reading it, yeah. Yes, mm. the Taoiseach mm. probably. We, we should look at the Taoiseach's ads on his Gmail and that'll tell us what he was talking about and the Sunday world goes with um, that shocking story um, uh, of the murder of criminal guinea pig the guinea pig as he was called son of guinea pig's victim curses murdered psycho gun seized in hunt for evil Mark Desmond's killer uh, remarkable photograph of a Garda forensics officer uh, pulling a gun an actual gun out of uh, what appears to be undergrowth and that, that is in a photograph which is uh, on the front page of the papers um, we'll talk about water to begin with because uh, it is the story of the week stroke year stroke decade apart from the financial issues that uh, that led to its creation um, we are in a, wor- a weird world Brendan where Stephen O'Brien is writing on page two of the Sunday Times that Europe is still unimpressed with how we are dealing with this and no matter what the outcome of the expert commission and the talking shop that's going to follow they're still not going to be overly impressed with what has happened here yeah I mean it's, it's, it's really classic Irish in that you can never come to a conclusion, you know, whether it's finding gas offshore or water charges, you know, you never get to the end of the yarn. This is now going on for years and we're no further. But I would have thought just reading it that, um, you know, that Stephen O'Brien must be on the ball. This couldn't possibly meet EU legislation. Uh, And... um, he quotes the, the, the EU commissioner saying that charges are an indispensable part of that. So we're just keep digging the hole deeper and deeper. This isn't getting anybody anywhere. And the fact that the European Commission has said this, uh, you would be concerned, David, that 
this is no matter what happens here, that Europe are eventually going to draw a red line through this and say, well, you're, you, we're going to fine you. Yeah, but on one level, so what? I mean, the, the reality is that politically, the government and government parties need this to go away. I mean, this is a, an absolute boon for the AAA and PBP and whoever else, whatever else you're having. I mean, the continuation of this, as Michael Noonan intimated during the week, is not helping anyone. It has to go away. Um, you know, it seems to me a reasonable proposition that someone should pay for their use of water and, you know, that this is a precious resource and it needs income. But this is three or four hundred million euros a year. And are we going to sacrifice the political centre of this country and, you know, a hundred years of the state uh, to the hands of what Michael O'Leary might describe as, you know, lunatics and yeah, half but, 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 but if you look at the, fa- at the face of the numbers, the number of people who voted for candidates who were yes. opposed to water charges, far exceeds. They're, 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 we're not talking we've about lost, a we've, Yeah, and we've lost the argument. I mean, the, the, pe- the people who presented the idea of water charges as a good thing have lost the political argument. Therefore, the best thing that could happen now is that it's killed as soon as possible and we move on from the issue. That's that's politically what has to happen. If that doesn't happen, all we're doing is uh, allowing political capital to continue to be made by those who oppose it. And we're successful in the election. We've had an election. Let's move on. Terry Prone, um, Pat Rabbit in the Sunday Business Post says, only the Trotskyites now threaten to prevent the water issue being settled before Fianna Fáil gets back into government. Now, that, unlike <laughs> Pat to mince his words, but uh, has he a point? He has a point, but the issue here is twofold. The first is that people tend to sneer at communication as being a minor aspect of what politicians and businesses have to do. The fact is that the entire water thing was lost by poor communication. That's what caused the problem, that people were not first educated to understand the connection between the charge that was likely to happen and their own use of water. They were not educated about the cost of providing them with water so that people and the politicians who are against the water charges are able to say, sure, water falls out of the sky. Yeah, sure it does. And not in a form that's safe to come out of your tap. So first of all, communication and a really bad management of communication was at the core of the failure. The second thing is you're right. The people have spoken. Sometimes the people are wrong. And in this instance, they are wrong because if we go to um, a tax-based system, the connection between this is what it costs and this is why you need to be careful of your use of water is going to be lost. And that's what the European Commission is effectively saying. Although I was amused in Stephen O'Brien's piece in the Sunday Times, he he says that uh, the Commission is unlikely to make a dramatic or emotional intervention before the Commission makes its judgment. It it would be ill-advised given that it wouldn't be necessarily well-received. David? Just to make the point, that I mean Terry is quite right that the communications of this was badly handled and uh, I'll take my own share of the uh, the blame for that um but not 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 being not being said not not not, not to be not to not to be, not to, to, to labor the point but I mean we must we must con- we must consider the um atmosphere into which this charge was uh, was levied I mean the property tax had been successfully done we had we had austerity measures for a number of years but the reality is that this was just simply a charge too far as people saw it. They didn't link it to, as Terry says quite quite rightly, the um, you know the, the use and all the rest of it. And I think you could have laid the ground for many years in terms of use and all the rest of it, given where we were as a people at that stage. People just had simply enough. They'd accepted the property tax. They'd accepted other austerity measures. 
but this was simply a charge too far. But and they, they, they saw it as an austerity measure. Look at what they're doing now. Fianna Fáil won't fess up because they think they'll be in office in a Oh, they don't. No, no, no. Fianna Fáil don't, don't want this because no, they, they no, want this to no, be gone no, by the time they, they go to the people. is to be in charge of this in 18 months' time. And so they're quite prepared to give any amount of hostages to fortune to get into office and then somehow we'll deal with it. And that's the structure of modern Irish politics. Nobody will think more than a fortnight. So the problem is getting bigger and bigger and still nobody has presented the bill for giving us a proper water system in this country, which we do not have. It's falling to bits. The time scale and the amount of money and where it's going to be spent. Okay. In other words, this, as so often, is really bad politics. Mm. And it isn't a question of whether you agree or disagree. The people in charge are making an unholy political mess, both I, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. I am going to put the point that is no doubt being made in kitchens and cars and, and God knows where else where people are listening this morning, that, that you uh, as a panel around of touch that Irish water has been firmly rejected by the people and that it is wrong to be doubly charged for something like water charges and then that is the narrative I'm not saying it's my narrative I'm saying that is the narrative that led to this being defeated and it is the narrative that's going to continue to define this debate to the exclusion of the reality of how we're going to pay for our yeah, water service. And I said that's that's correct. Yeah, unfortunately, if, if I was making a political calculation today, I'd say you're absolutely so right. So did, did Labour, because you're a former Labour strategist, did Labour get this one wrong? I think, yes, we did. I think the government got it wrong. I think I think we didn't um, properly recognise how big an issue this was. We had, we've had we just had a very sane conversation between three or four mm. people who were broadly agree that water needs to be paid for. As Brendan said, we have infrastructure structure to be paid for and it was a reasonable thing. I think what we underestimated was the sense by which people were just simply sick, sick of austerity, sick of yet another charge, sick, sick of dwindling incomes and it was just simply a step too it's far. And it was very well and it's, 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 it's important to say you don't play hurling against statues and the people on the other side very, very, very successfully exploited this issue for their own ends. Well, I'll tell you what, something that I just Twitter threw it up during the week that uh, on, on the back of this report saying you know, as somebody who had to drill my own well and service my septic tank and take all of these charges on I'm now going to face increased taxation to pay for the water system in the future and the abuse that I got from people who are opposed to water charges saying, oh, it's part of being in a society. Did you have a, Did you not go to school? Do your children not go to school? And and, and that, that level of equation, that level of logic. I mean, there is, is no fair? logic when it comes to the entire water charges thing. And what you're, when you talk about the narrative, the fact is that a group of people have exploited this issue and inflamed a weird uh, cross-section of the public to go out and protest in large numbers about it. And the one point that is missing in their argument is, lads, yous are going to pay for water one way or the other. Now, it may make you feel better that you don't get an actual bill that you have to pay but it's going to come out of your income Is tax. this, Terry, what we have seen in other countries? What we have seen with Brexit in the UK, mm. what we have seen with Trump in the US, this kind of, I, I won't describe it as, as a post-truth world, but the where people will vote in the expectation of something unrealistic happening and, and then possibly be have a little bit of buyer's remorse afterwards when it doesn't. 
I'm not even sure that there's much buyer's remorse either in relation to Brexit, well, possibly in relation to Brexit, certainly not in relation to Trump and certainly not in relation to water charges. I think that obviously I'm in the business of getting people elected. And the one thing that you have to say to people who are going to get elected is a kind of a two arm thing. Keep it simple. Keep it simple so that they understand exactly and can repeat it to somebody else. And secondly, have an enemy to attack. And that got handed to the water charge protesters because it was very simple to say water comes from the sky. It's a basic human right. We shouldn't be charged for it. And the attack was against the establishment. It mirrored the Brexit thing and the Trump thing and was just as false because the fact is that if you look at Trump he is the quintessence of the establishment and yet huge tranche of American voters decided that he was in some way a maverick or an outsider. Um, Brendan, you mentioned new politics and, and, and the great age we live in in this country. The, the other element of new politics that's, that's fallen down around its ears is, is the judges thing. Uh, Shane Ross wants one thing. Uh, Fianna Fáil wanted another. Enda Kenny has blocked Fianna Fáil and Jim O'Callaghan's bill uh, and it, as a result Fianna Fáil seemed to be put out to put it mildly. Yeah, you would get the impression that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael actually want uh, the loony left as they call them to win, Right. All of this is self-destructive. The two big parties continuously shoot themselves in the foot. They must be nearly out of ammunition. And here they have constructed... Oh, there's never, an, there's never no, a here, shortage of ammunition for political stupidity. Here three or four stupidity. more toes have disappeared over nothing. You know, I mean, it's the, the judge's question is important. Whose bill says what is only important to people who have lost all touch with reality. And this takes us back to the Brexit and the Trump business, right? That after 30 years, like the guy said in in The Third Man, you know, of peace and prosperity, the political establishment uh, is no longer uh, in touch. We don't even have a sophisticated cuckoo clock. Exactly. It (laughs) operates entirely in its own world. And so here we have a row that can only damage the two parties involved in the row being constructed by themselves <laughs> without any help from anybody else and water is exactly the same there are lots of ways you can it isn't a question of whether you should pay for water or not pay for water what i was saying is you can deal with this without actually ruining your own political position which yeah. both Fianna and Fianna Fáil seem what, determined what to do what they want to do is they want to reform how, how we hire judges which is laudable in its own way and probably not it's worth reviewing but they're they're getting hung up now on on Jim O'Callaghan he wants it <laughs> yeah. to be chaired by the chief Justice, this new appointments commission, and Shane Ross wants it to be chaired by a non-lawyer. Yeah, and I mean, you couldn't make it up. Ultimately, you know? we're going to get to the point where we have a better and improved judicial system. But th- th- are we? Getting, well, well, one would like to think. Go on, David. Your 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 choice spoke in there. I, I recently read Roe McCormack's very good book on the Supreme Court, and you know, detailed the history of the court and all it's done. I think we've been reasonably well served as a people heretofore by I our constitution. To disagree. Well, that you're more than entitled to disagree, Brendan. That's thanks be to God we still Everybody live in a democracy. Everybody says that. Maybe yeah, go ahead. But I think we've been reasonably reasonably well served. I mean, there's lots of things we'd all like to change about the law, but I'm not mm. sure. Um, notwithstanding the fact that most judges, senior judges, have been appointed by one political party, are the other over the last 80 or 90 years. It seems to me that in most sensitive cases, they have not taken party political positions once they have been appointed. We have a position whereby judges, when they are appointed, become judges, that they they remove themselves, if you can, as much as you can from your previous existence. But that seems to have worked, Jonathan. 
I mean, it, I, I don't mm-hmm. know of any major case in which one could say that a Fianna Fáil appointed judge has taken a pro-Fianna Fáil or pro-Labour or pro-Fianna Gael position on appointment, you know, that anyone has ever complained. So if something... You know, I think egos is as a, a large part of these two issues. I mean, you know, the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael persisting with the water thing seems to be a number. You know, we all suffer from ego, but like, you know, if you're beaten, you're beaten and move on. And similarly, you know, whether the Appointments Commission is chaired by one lawdy, you know, individual or another hardly makes a whole lot of difference. I mean, to the functioning of the courts, ultimately. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just want to make the very minority view that uh, I believe the Irish people have been very badly served by the Irish judiciary over the last 40 or 50 years. But that has nothing to do with the way they're appointed. And I don't <laughs> suppose it will change if they're appointed differently. So I think this is, I mean, it just they've managed to construct a crisis out of a small problem. That's the politics. But, well, you uh, see, the problem is you construct a crisis out of the small problem and the next small problem that comes along is then amplified as an awful lot bigger and poses more of a threat. Um, Terry? I wouldn't figure that Micheál Martin is going to pull the plug on the government on this one. I really wouldn't because if we're talking, never mind a post-truth time, if we're talking in a time of populism, there is not a huge cohort of people out there who give much of a sugar about judges. Let's be honest. I do have the impression that Mr Martin is getting ready for government. Uh, even on the water question, yeah, and uh, you know, is he, more, and that is the real problem they, they, with they, Irish he, politics. They are, they are bege- he is beginning to kind of cover himself and and get rid of some of the hostages to fortune, so he won't bring them down on this issue. But the more issues, the better. I just have this feeling that he he he, he will move in the ne- in during twenty seventeen. Yeah. Probably well, on the budget. Actually, that's the real problem with Irish politics. Just when you think you have it right, you look over your shoulder and what's lumbering behind you in Micheál Martin's case? Bertie O'Hearn. We'll talk about that <laughs> These next. things may be connected. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about uh, Leo Varadkar. The, the big beasts go to war. We'll talk about Bertie in a moment. But uh, Varadkar backed by 30 TDs in battle to succeed Kenny. Um, he, uh, he probably knew this already, but is it, a, is it a Philip to him, do you think, that he has that much support, Terry? Well, the thing is about leadership, it's just about the numbers. And um, I have never been involved in a leadership challenge where people have not claimed more than they had, sometimes because they actually believed that they had more than they really had. It's the that's where the statisticians come in. And I'm not sure there is a kind of thing that says, look, if you have a majority, then you're on a roll. But it's a long time before anything specific Isn't it always happens. the case that the fellow who speaks the loudest early on tend not, tends not <laughs> to actually win? And in that context, Leo might be a little premature in, in boasting of his success, if indeed it is him who he was boasting. Well, that's the issue. Would Leo boast? I can't see him doing that. Yeah, and Simon Coveney, of course, is lining up, David, uh, as a fellow mm-hmm. Cork man, uh, the Crown Prince of Cork, South Central. Um, do you think he will manage to take... And will take enough support from Leo Varadkar to win over as a consensus candidate? Having spent 12 months predicting the results of elections and being entirely wrong on every single <laughs> one of them. Uh, I change the habit? Not, not alone. Um, you know, my experience of leadership elections, and I think 30% of the vote goes to the Fine Gael membership at large, 20% to councillors and 50% to TDs. I think that ultimately those groups individually and collectively will take the self-interested decision to vote for the person they believe 
is most likely to bring electoral success to Fine Gael. And that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a very subjective thing. I think if that were to happen today, then Leo Varadkar would probably win on that basis just because he's more prominent, seen as more of a media. It's not always the right decision, by the way. Um, but, you know, I think that's the way it normally lines up. They take a very self-interested view. Um, and, you know, the media's darling is more likely to be Leo Varadkar than Simon Coveney, even though they're, you know, I've, de- I've dealt with both of them. Simon Coveney's a very fine minister. He's probably unfortunate in the ministry he now holds an intractable problem mm-hmm. that's very hard to get good publicity from. The point you were making, Brendan, before the breakout, that Michal Martin is looking at 2017 as the year in which to do something, and, and, and the whiff of power is is quite strong, I'd imagine, for those in Fianna Fáil right now. That poses a problem for Enda Kenny, because Enda Kenny wants to hang around to meet the Pope in 2018, and if he goes next year, if Michal Martin pulls the confidence and supply agreement because he thinks Fianna Fáil will have the support for it, that's, that's end of toast, and Fianna Gael will be plunged into a leadership contest. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, Michal. Martin may want to host the Pope as well. Um, yeah, there's an angle. But yeah, this is, I mean, that's not an Enda's gift, obviously. Uh, but this is all part of the puzzle. Um, Fine Gael managed to win more seats than Fianna of Hoyle for the second election in a row, unprecedented. And they did it after five years of brutal austerity. They immediately declared that they had been beaten and that they needed a new leader. And they have spent the intervening years talking mm-hmm. about their new leader, making Fianna Fáil look like the only party that's capable of government. I mean, I know I'm sounding like a wound-up clock here, but it is truly bizarre. Enda, however, will choose the time of his own going. I bow to Terry's superior professional thing. You cannot unseat a sitting Taoiseach. Uh, and, and one of the reasons that I think Leo Varadkar already uh, is beginning to look like he's not suitable is that he doesn't see that. And he's roughly bankrupted the country twice by my calculations with his election promises. So, you know, I, I don't understand his tactics. But there's no way they can get rid of Enda until Enda wants to go. And um, except but Mihal Martin can't can pull the plug. Terry, you, you mightn't be able to unseat a Taoiseach, but you can hack at the chair he's sitting on, which is presumably within politicians' remit as well. I would say that for the last 12 years, Enda Kenny has occupied the most hacked at chair in the Oleron. And he's still still there and he's still enjoying every moment of every day. Uh, There is a a remarkable interview with Niamh Horan in the Sunday Independent. Uh, Niamh Horan, I've I've spoken of my (laughs) admiration for her ability to get under the skin of her subjects before. And this time she didn't have to travel too far. She only had to go out as far as the Skyline Hotel in Drumcondra. And there's a big photograph of a smiling Bertie Ahern, the face that stared down at us from Manny's election poster over the years. The headline, I only want to help out locally and play my small role. Hmm. Terry, Um, can he ever play a small role in Fianna Fáil? Well, that's a separate issue. The first thing is that the way you read that was filled with vocal cynicism. And Very unlike me, Terry. I, I suspect really. that you're wrong on this because I have worked extensively in the past with Bertie O'Hearn. And whenever Bertie O'Hearn is actively planning and working with members of a local constituency to try and get a seat, particularly if it's against the odds, it's like he is injected with steroids. It is total happiness. He had every little footry detail of that sort of thing and I cannot imagine I mean he's done all the international peacemaker type conference speeches and all that jazz I can't imagine anything that Bertie would genuinely enjoy more 
than doing the local work within his old constituency if he were asked. But Neve has very there's a very funny bit in it where she says um, she quotes uh, Bertie as saying that Michal Martin has effectively put paid to this um, and she asks him how he feels about it and he says well you know the way if you're not invited to the party by the host you don't go to the party that's my view on it and the issue apparently is that Bertie Hearn is the only case he is the precedent setting case where Michal Martin has to decide on whether to let him back in or not and the chances are that Michal Martin will not really be enthusiastic no, about No, and there, there's Bertie's a reason baggage. for that. We're not talking about Pope Benedict up in Castello Gandalfo, <laughs> not uh, be, being a kind of a retired shy Pope with not implying anything. Bertie O'Hearn carries an awful lot of baggage, David, and he was thrown out of the party by Michal Martin, effectively. And if he came back in, not only would that be embarrassing for Michal Martin, but it would bring the baggage back. I never thought I'd be um, using Pope Benedict as, uh, <laughs> as an example. But if Bertie O'Hearn genuinely wants to help Fianna Fáil, I suspect the best thing he could do is to follow the example of Pope Benedict. <laughs> stay quiet, stay out of the way, um, quietly work canvassing for candidates that he wants to, want, mm-hmm. wants to do in his constituency. Certainly give strategic advice, of which he would have much, and he's a very good strategist. But this row is not helping Fianna Fáil, um, in my view, and I don't think Michal Martin welcomes it in any way whatsoever. So uh, if Pope Francis can go around the world without Benedict looking over his shoulder, then I'm sure Michal Martin should be allowed the same. It's, it's funny, Brendan, that, that this came out of two women in their 80s, by all accounts, who had been frustrated at Dublin Central Fianna Fáil branch becoming so poor that they didn't even have a councillor after being so successful that they managed to get was it, who was the TD was it was it Cyprian, Cyprian Brady, Brady and it was 800 and something first preferences he got and he still got elected Bertie Hearn's living surplus yeah yeah well I see again the cynics don't believe in the two dear old ladies but, but <laughs> the important point is and this goes back to what Terry said if it's true about the constituency kind of organisation falling apart because once you develop a theory out of nowhere as I just did about Michal Martin <laughs> making a move you start to see evidence to support it and if Bertie uh, thinks that there might be an election you know say next year and that his beloved constituency is uh, you know not up for it that would indeed drive him round the bend you know that he'd have to be Perhaps in, even in the back seat he's in well you see then of course there's the other thing with, with politicians I mean my favourite line in, in Yes Minister is um, somebody says you know the Prime Minister's motto in in defeat malice in victory revenge <laughs> so they all have multiple purposes and the malice to make me a Hall Martin's life more difficult would be there but they never gave up the ambition and I wouldn't I'd be prepared to believe, on no evidence, but I'm prepared to believe that Bertie would not have yet given up hope of the presidency. Well, you see, and I'd be prepared that, to believe that he could win it. My first instinct, because Richard Chambers of News Talk uh, was the first person to report this story on Monday night, I think it was. And my initial reaction was, oh, here's a run for the Auris. And then that Bertie always wanted the Auris and, and the opportunity might present itself in two years' time, or three years' time, 2019, I think. Uh 
Would Bertie Hearn be elected? election but involved. Was that the most recent one? I mean, previous, I suppose there were oh, previous yeah. brutal ones as well, but there, yes. there's been the a Len- The Lenehan, the Lenehan Robinson oh, Lenehan, yeah. uh, Curry yeah. one was the worst Gastly. possible political yeah. campaign of all time. Um, you know, I mean, I just think that there's so little... The McAleese one wasn't bad. Ah, uh, no, it no, was. If you're any roach, you wouldn't have thought it was yeah, a good campaign. You know, I mean, vote? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. The, the nomination oh, yeah. between Albert Horn and, and Mary McAleese. Because there's nothing, there's no power, ultimately, you're, you were electing somebody who's a figurehead. Um, you know, people are very clear about that. So therefore, it tends to generate very quickly into a personality contest. And that's never pleasant. Well, we could mm-hmm. imagine if we had a Fianna Fáil runoff between Miriam O'Callaghan and Bertie O'Hearn for the Fianna Fáil nomination, which I suppose is what has been suggested in the past. Who'd win that one, do you think? This is the the time when only no comment is the safe response. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> well said. <laughs> Good morning, Mary. Michelle. Sure um, uh, our candy maker made secret price threat to state during talks. That's Susan Mitchell's front page story on the Sunday Business Post, uh, and this is. A story we talked about last week: 159,000 euro. This company, or Canby, wants to charge per patient per year for something that, in a lot of cases, is is hugely important to people who have cystic fibrosis. There are those who are on successful trials who've got a couple of weeks um, of of this drug left before it runs out. And this company, Vertex, seems to be playing the hardest of hard balls. Brendan Keenan, uh, threatening to increase the price because the HSE wanted to come up with a scheme whereby they wanted to see if it worked or it didn't work, depending if it worked, they paid more. If it didn't work, they paid less. Seems reasonable enough given the cost of it. But again, it's a pharmaceutical company who are driven by profit rather than anything else one would fear. Yeah, the the story is complicated because, as you say, these claims of what the company has got up to. I mean, the, the two basic issues of how much uh, drugs like this, new drugs, are worth and what health authorities do about it is is really difficult. I mean, Eli Lilly has just declared that the final third trial of uh, an Alzheimer's treatment has failed. And that has cost Eli Lilly apparently $2 billion. They've been at this for 15 years, and they will be recouping that $2 billion somewhere else. So without going into the details, you don't know if the price is fair. And it can be fair. Uh, to, to, to charge 150000 a month or a year for a drug. That's what they can sometimes cost to develop. But you don't really know. Well, and, the, and, the, and the context then, on this in, yeah, from exactly. Susan's article is executives at other pharmaceutical companies describe Vertex behaviour yeah. and the decision to leave patients in limbo as reprehensible. Yeah. So obviously there is a pool of thought within well, the we have, industry. We have, we have to take the, the reporters, the view that the reporters' facts are correct. But I mean, I have no information on that. And that makes it a very interesting story. And, 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 and 
and needs a follow-up. But um, that is quite separate, as I say, from the general issue uh, that whether, you know, you, you, you devote five million a year to a small group of people who will benefit from a really marvellous but expensive drug or spend it somewhere else in the health service uh, where it wouldn't particularly be noticed but do some good to more people. That's the general issue, but there do appear to be specific issues here which you, need looking you've into. You've spent your career writing about economics, um, and economics is very it can be very black and white. There's obviously opinion and shades of grey, but it is black and white. Pharmaeconomics is something that I don't think anyone would even with a half a rational brain get involved in because it isn't black and white, it's life and death sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And any economist would say that the price of, of a life is is infinite, you know. Uh, we would all sell our house and everything we've got to save our partner or our child's life. But the resources of a health service are not infinite. And uh, they have a committee with the unfortunate name of NICE in Britain, which tries to decide whether drugs should be prescribed or not. Then they have, David was telling me, this wasn't my information, that, you know, the regional health boards there uh, can take different views. But Britain's a big country. Imagine if we had regional health boards dealing with this. So the general problem is a difficult one. And it's no good saying that this is dead easy. Everybody should get every drug that's available on the market if it does any good at all, no matter what the price. David, you would have a certain amount of sympathy for Simon. Harris, uh, indeed any health minister in this scenario, because he is ultimately the one who has to carry the moral burden of, of not paying for the drug, even though uh, he's not the one who's setting the price. Yeah, but um, ostensibly, I mean, the state is doing the right thing in trying to secure this drug for as you know for as little as possible, and 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 getting in, in in so doing, being able to treat as many patients as possible with this and other drugs. But I mean, you know, it's very very difficult. Um, you know, it's almost impossible from a communications perspective to to say to somebody that you know this drug. Is is very useful um, clearly if, if it works for everyone you could probably make a stronger case but in our Canby's case yeah. it doesn't work for everybody and increasingly we'll be faced with these issues because as Brendan says companies will research we're living longer we have you know there are more diseases that that and illnesses that that, that are chronic and will live with us for a long time so I mean the Alzheimer's one obviously is a is one that would be hugely impactful to a huge amount of an increasing amount of people who live longer and have this but it's really 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 expensive, and you know, it's it's the state is in an invidious position, really trying to negotiate on price because money doesn't matter in these situations. And on one level, but on another level, it does. It's a, it's a tough spot to say the least. There was a good discussion on this with Sarah Carey on Talking Point yesterday. James Riley, the former health minister, Michael Barry, um, head professor for the National Centre for Pharma Economics, uh, amongst others. You can listen back to that on Newstalk.com. Uh, Brendan Keenan, Terry Brown, and David Leach are staying with us. We'll talk about the front pages of the sports. And David, the GEA story on the Sunday Business Post they're making money from these rights deals they sold media rights for more than 80 million euros in a five year deal now it used to be just RTE but they're no longer the only show in town who else got rights? Uh, Sky Sports have have the rights to 14 games and championship games and obviously um, Air Sports the former Satanta has National League games and uh, and TG Cahar retains its rights to the club games uh, presumably Um, this is a great deal I think um, I won't be in the least bit popular for saying it happy to break the consensus Uh, delighted as a member of the GAA that we've got 80 million it'll all go into the grassroots of the association it's very good news it's our best product we should sell it for as much as we can get and um, we should continue to promote the games in the same way how about people who can't afford Sky Sports who are now going to be disenfranchised by this and not be able to see the games? Well, you know, 
uh, anyone who wants to see a GA match, there's a list of fixtures around the country that anyone can go to today or any other Sunday that they can watch. They're looking for crowds to come to. These are the epitome of the games. 25 of the games are free to air. More on TG Cahar and uh, and obviously if people want to see games, they can go and see them at any stage. Um, but it's the best asset the association has for gaining money and we have to use those assets in the best way possible. The money ultimately doesn't go to anyone's pocket. It's used for the games to promote them and to develop players of the future. And, and free to air, the, the finals presumably are, are kept as free Yes, to absolutely. This is, you know, 14 championship games in the midst of the season that, you know, the, the semi-finals and the finals are, are left free to air. Um, and I think the, the, the provincial championships are, are left free to air as well. I wouldn't be certain about that. I mean, I think that's reasonable. It's operated for the last three years. I think it's reasonable. Anyone who wants to see the game desperately can do so in any public house of their choice. I don't think that's mm. unreasonable. Um, it's not as if, uh, you know, um, pe- people are being prevented from watching these and, you know, the GA Go system will still go as well for people around the world. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a good use of the, of the rights and a good balance between providing games free to air and promoting them and getting the best possible deal for the association. I'm assuming it's 80 million over the five years. You yes. Know? Yeah, yeah, okay. So you're not getting 80 million a year because that would be good out of cash. You wouldn't say no to that either. Well, I'm badly looking for a hurling wall, so anyone who wants to give us a few, Bob, um, <laughs> Um, off the ball we'll be dealing with Jose Mourinho's Manchester United uh, who are live on News Talk later against Everton Brendan but uh, if we're not going to talk about your predictions for the game we're going to talk about the story on the Sunday Times this seems to be a, a kind of WikiLeaks for sport um, have they've managed to get their hands on some documentation or they've done some good work have they? Yeah my impression is that they've, they've done done the work themselves uh, the, the, the Sunday Times uh, inside team and they've followed the money uh, what's interesting about it is that um, what the claim is is that uh, Mourinho misled an earlier revenue investigation into his affairs. Now, British revenue. Yeah, British revenue, and it's not a ta- it's not an Irish tax issue, even though the money rested for a while in a Dublin account, but there'd be no Irish tax due. That's not the point. The point is the rule of thumb with tax is if you're found kind of hiding tax you should have paid you end up paying roughly twice what you owed, right? But there's no prosecution. But that's a lot of money and that's a big deterrent. So if you owe them two million, if you did owe them two million, you end up paying four. That's how it works. However, if the revenue finds out that uh, in the inquiry you deceived them again, that's when they're inclined to bring a criminal, criminal prosecution and take you to court. And that's what's being claimed in this case, that Marino misled. And of course, Marino's uh, people deny it. Uh, uh, but He's that's fully, what the claim For the record, is. he confirmed he was fully compliant and up to date with his tax obligations. Yes, exactly. But, um, you know, that could mean uh, several things. It doesn't actually deny the, the central charge. So um, that's, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, they've done, they appear to have done some pretty solid work on the revenues looking into it and if it turns out to be true he is in trouble yes yeah Mourinho aside Terry um, we have Ireland being mentioned that the money rested here before uh, moving on and on the Sunday Business Post um, tax affairs and Apple tax and and the revenue investigation there still all very unfortunate focus on how we do business in this country one might argue yeah uh, particularly at a time when other countries are competing so vehemently for um, the industries that tend to create little clusters of economic progress around the country but listening to Brendan saying that they don't usually take criminal charges against you if you are a tax evader avoider um, <laughs> unless you mislead them 
uh, the first time round, in which case they go after you. Struck me that the only person that I can remember, the only celebrity that I can remember ending up in clink as a result of that would have been the jockey Lester Piggott. And I remember listening to his daughter Tracy Piggott describing how awful that time was because not only was her father in prison but her mother was acutely ill in hospital and she came out the front door on one occasion to find wall-to-wall paparazzi outside, people shoving microphones at her and shouting questions at her and she wasn't expecting this and she burst into tears and she said, how can you do this to me? My father is in prison and my mother is in hospital on a vibrator. And she couldn't understand yeah. why oh, they yeah. all fell around laughing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> unfortunately. I think I should, I should just say the main business of the Dublin Financial Centre is, is fund management. That's what they mostly do there, you know, you manage funds. And this money was actually, you know, in, in the sport company uh, that Marino deals through. So I agree with you, kind of people can, it's a bit unfortunate people are going to say, oh dear, there's absolutely no Irish tax element in this story yeah, whatsoever. Just, unfortunate no, mention. The, ap- the Apple story is very interesting, but completely incomprehensible and unsuitable for family uh, listening. Uh, so uh, I think uh, David, read, you, read the business. You, 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 you have three minutes, <laughs> David, to make this uh, comprehensive. Look, what happened was, we know what happened, the European Commission investigation, they found 15 billion floating somewhere in the ether that they said was owed to us. The government is claiming that we don't, it's not owed to us and it's 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 an ongoing legal issue but revenue in the meantime have been sniffing around to see if there are any other deals I mean what what is it just that that they are sniffing around or that they have investigated no, okay okay I'm sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, rescue them <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean it's it's called revenue opinions you know when you have a when you have a tax arrangement you know you give it to the revenue and say is that legal and they say yes or no uh, what seems to be happening even though we've appealed it the European ruling has kind of changed the, the game and the revenue is looking at its opinions and may tell some companies, yeah, well, actually, we're going to have to revise our opinion on that. You're going to have to do this, that and the other. Uh, well, so they won't they have to admit they got it wrong in the first place? No, no, they're not wrong in the first place. No, I guess that's, <laughs> that's the law. There is, there, is, there, is no, there is no right and wrong, you know. Um, that's what I mean about incomprehensible. However, it could be quite important for the companies. And then there's an interesting thing as well that they may decide in future that these opinions last for only five years because, you know, international law keeps changing. <laughs> Europe changes the law. Um, it's, so it, it's one of my, one of my gr- old mentor, a man called John Wallace, God rest him, used to say there were two kinds of stories, the important and the interesting. But the <laughs> ones that are important aren't always interesting. And the ones that are interesting aren't usually important. This qualifies as important, but not interesting. Oh, so you're casting <laughs> terrible aspersions on the front page of the Sunday Business Post. No, no, lead story to it's important, it's important and it's and in the right newspaper. point here, this is the crucial significance of the water issue. Because if you have uh, external potential investors around the world looking at Ireland, they're going to be much more worried about water. Because if you look at companies like Intel, Hewlett-Packard, they have an enormous requirement for really clean water. And every time 
people like us go on radio or write stuff in newspapers saying the Irish water system is falling apart, it's Victorian, it's a disgrace, we're going to have a crisis. Mm. That informs the thinking of potential well, investors. Wait, wait until we have too much rain or not enough rain and as a result there's a problem with the water supply somewhere and see how the uh, international reputation of the country goes then. We will leave our panel there. Terry Prone of the Communications Clinic, David Leach, Director of Communications with Goal and Brendan Keane and columnist with Independent Newspapers. Thank you all.